Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, this is the first Big Little Small Talk back for 2023. My name's Megan O'Hara-Sullivan. Big Little Small Talk's a segment where we go and talk to someone in the community who's doing something interesting. And today I am sitting in the most beautiful rainforest in the middle of Toowoomba, right on the golf course, and I am talking to Hugh Krensky. Welcome to Big Little Small Talk, Hugh. Hello. I want to start off by talking about your garden here. Can you explain to me the origins of this garden, this house? Perhaps actually we might start with the surname Krensky. You're Hubert Krensky, commonly known as Huey. Yeah. Tell me the origins of Krensky. Well, Krensky is a, a German name and my family comes from the Lockyer Valley, uh, that part of the family. But this property here didn't come through the Krenskys. It came through the Noaks. Pastor Noak, my grandfather, he uh, founded Concordia College and he did that because it was something he felt he needed to do. But this was his home. And uh, so when he purchased this, and we were very fortunate to be able to get it after he passed away. And so at the time, it was just a bare slate. There was nothing here. Oh, there was grass. And so we proceeded to plant trees. That was the first, very first thing we've done. So you can see the, diff, the benefit of all of those things. We've always been environmentally minded right from early on. Like even as a teenager, I'd, I'd ride a push bike down to Redwood and go walking in Redwood. So it was just one of the things you did. In the 73 we actually got it, we actually became the property owners in 1976. And Kay, being an avid planter and loves trees, her, her mission in life is to replant all the trees and more that her father took out when he was grazing. He was good at ring barking. <laughs> and so tell me a little bit more about that. Where did Kay grow up? Uh, Kay grew up at the foothills of the Bunya Mountains in a place called Yamption and uh, they had a thousand acres there and when he tr when Kay's dad tried to buy more land he couldn't so he sold and bought four thousand acres up at Goomba and he proceeded to do the same thing up there and I met Kay when she was at Goomba and in due course we got married in 1970 and since then we rented into a couple of places we bought a place and then sold it didn't live in it and when this came up, we purchased here, and so we've had a lot of lot of history here. We've can we before we jump back to the current? Can we just talk some more about your grandfather, the pastor, who's yes. founded Concordia? Yes. And where did you live? Were you living in Toowoomba and with your okay. parents? Or? My mother, and uh, I had a sister, and my parents got divorced in the 1940s, and so at that time a divorced woman wasn't able to have a male child. So I had to either go into a home or an orphanage, but very fortunately, my grandparents took me on. So I, I, that's why I've lived here for so long. So you lived here with your grandparents, yes. the yes. pastor, right? Yes. And what then happened to your mum? Oh, my mum, she went and worked in Rockhampton with my daughter. She could take my daughter with her and she did uh, work. She had a brother up there. So she uh, helped him out and eventually she came back to Toowoomba and then went to Townsville and then came back and she passed away 30 years ago. Mm. Yeah. Did you stay in touch with your father? 
uh, in the, towards the end, I thought he was dead, but towards the end I got to know him and uh, I went down and visited him in Canberra and I got to know him, but not very well. Mm. Um, he was a long distance away. He had another family organised at that time. Mm. And do you know any of the circumstances of your parents getting divorced? Like that would have been a really, really big deal back in the 1940s, I can imagine. I don't know much about it. Mm. I was two or three. Mm -hmm. so. And did you have a good relationship with your, with your grandparents? Oh, Whether yes. you the, you were the young, this young child, what yes, sort of age were you then? Grand, I was the oldest grandchild. Mm -hmm. So um, if I was born in 1946, and uh, so I'd have been three or four. Mm. So every, all my whole life has been spent here. Mm, in this house, what a wonderful connection to the house. Mm. Yeah. So um, you and Kay, you met. How did you meet? Where? What were you doing? I was teaching in Alra, and I organised. I organised. Tried to organise the Alra Lutheran kids to go to a youth group in, in Warwick. So that was the whole plan of that. And she just happened to be one of those kids that were going up there. And then I got transferred out west. But the we maintained some sort of relationship and uh, yeah so that's that's how that eventuated yeah what about um teaching why why did you go teaching did you do you wouldn't have done teaching here would you did you go to brisbane to do teaching i went to te brisbane to do teaching and then i came back and taught at south boys which is no longer there and alra out west eventually i came back to toowoomba and having an interest in science, I took on a science advisory role and that got me travelling again all over the place with uh, teaching teachers how to teach science. That morphed into computer education and then I just went and helped teachers use computers mm. for a while. I, with other people, I wasn't on my own. And from there, uh, I went into head office in, second, in, in Brisbane. Um, to do work with some computer programs they wanted down there. That would have been very groundbreaking. I can remember yeah. doing Maths 2 in 1981 and this was the very first advent of computers. Is that the sort of era we're talking about? Well, computer education program started in 1984 and I was involved in that. We sort of wrote, we had to go to Brisbane and write the programs that were going to be used by teachers. And so you're, you're an early adopter, obviously. Technology, you, oh, you're really... So. Yes, yeah. I built my own computer well before this. <laughs> <laughs> that is an early adopter. Yeah. So let's go back to your love of the environment. Where does that stem from? Oh, I don't know. Just developed, probably because I like going out in the bush. In those days, we didn't have a car, so we had a pedley. So we'd pedal down the range or out to Ravensbourne or in places like that. You rode a push bike from here out to Ravensbourne. Yes. How long did that take? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I rode one to Warwick. We tried to ride one to Dolby, but the westy winds were too much for us there. We had to stop at Bowenville. <laughs> <laughs> and turn around. Yeah. And um, with this property, it was an evolution. You started off thinking, well, I'm going to... Uh, tell me about um, how your grandfather had the lease. He leased the long, the 15th course. We're right on the golf course. No, he, bought, he, he owned it. And then the agreement with council at the time was that he would relinquish this. There may have been money changed hands, I don't know. And they gave him a 99-year lease of the creek block between South Street and uh, Long Street. And the idea was that we could bring the cows up from Water Street, up through here, through the golf links, which I did. I'd cut, I'd lead them up here and we'd milk them up here. 
eventually we built bales down there and we milked them down there in the creek. Mm. Yeah. Has the lease finished now? Is that oh, what yes, happened? That, that dissolved when he died. Okay, yeah. right. So you started off and you thought, well, I'm going to turn this into a bush. Bush. What, what, what is it called? Is it called a native? It's not a native rainforest. It's a... It's, uh, well, at the time, the hardest thing to do was what do we plant? And so I did my research and I looked at rainforests. What I didn't look at was dry rainforests. There was very little information. So we had to look at subtropical rainforests and that's why we started to plant eucalypts because eucalypts are, are uh, you find them fairly dominant in, in rainforests. So you've got your big Sydney blue gums in the Ravensbourne, but in a dry rainforest, you don't have any eucalypts, none, not one. So we've got to live with that. Yeah. So was that a mistake? Was that mistake number one? That was mistake number one. Mistake <laughs> number two was going to nurseries trying to buy cedar trees. It took me three goes to get something that was a red cedar and everything else was something else. And anyway, and from then on, it's just, it's what we have. Kay is a planter. She's got an in to different people that propagate stuff. So we've got a lot of stuff. In the noughties, sort of in the second part of the, well, probably from about 1994, 1995, when I came back from... Brisbane. I, we worked and lived in Brisbane for a while because that's where my work was. So when I came back, I got in contact with Don Sands. I don't know if you've... Don Sands is the, a, a former Syro scientist who instigated the Richmond Birdwing Conservation Recovery Program, which we got involved in, which meant we grew birdwing vines, which we have a number growing through here. We ran workshops in Toowoomba. We had um, distributed lots of vines to people. We also propagated the mountain birdwing vines, which is Layana, which is growing there, and it's actually seeding for the first time ever. So, but we ha had all the proper approvals to go and get the seeds and stuff from the uh, national parks. So it just kept on going. Well, yes, and in 2000, we had a wedding here. My son wanted to get married and he wanted a wedding at home. So all of that area where the pond was, was big and open. We used to have a mower. <laughs> Is and, mower a dirty word around here? Uh, well, we have a mower. Um, we use it down in Redwood <laughs> to mow the picnic area sometimes. But we had a big open space there, so the marquee went there and the wedding went there and that went, that went off very well. And we just bought this block here at the time. And so it was just made uh, some senses to what do we do with it. With the open space there, I wanted a pond because ponds attract wildlife. So I dug this bit of a sliver of a pond, which I thought that'll be good. I could put a little bridge across that and uh, that'll be good. Kay had other ideas. <laughs> so he kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We even had to shift a bottle tree because she wanted more space for the pond. And we had a fair, oh, not a, probably half the size of this one. We shifted it. We've got the machinery to do it and it's still growing. Um, and so there was the pond. We purchased a liner from the people that do liners in Toowoomba. They did a good job on it. And then came all the wildlife. Give us, give the listeners a sense of how big that pond is. Well, it's about 30 metres long by about 15 metres wide. It's and not a bad pond, is it? No. It's a pretty big, yeah. good pond. Now that's a pond. Yes. <laughs> and what, what sort of things are, we went past the pond before we were having a look. What sort of things are in the pond? Well, we used to put silver perch in until 2.11 when the big flood came through and brought every darn contaminant into the water and all the fish died, unfortunately. So we decided we wouldn't repopulate with silver perch. So now we have uh, shrimp, yabbies, 
native fish that we, we've purchased and put in there and plenty of dragonfly nymphs and whatever else wants to live in it and ducks. Where did the ducks come from? You told me a beautiful story before and you showed me a nest up in one of the trees yes. about the ducks that you've had just recently hatching. Tell me yes. that story. Well the ducks found us. They, they must have fly over and they said oh there's water down there let's go and have a look. And they did and uh, now we get ducks pretty well. All, you can hear them fighting now up there. We get uh, get the ducks. Now the we have two types of ducks here mainly and that is the wood ducks and the Pacific black ducks. And it's the Pacific black ducks that just raised a, a clutch of 10 ducklings and they built their nest up high in a, a mess of old bark in the fork of a tree. And so they just float down to the ground or tumble down onto the ground when they're, when they're hatched. And then mother gets them together and they spend a day here or so getting their strength up and off they go down to the creek and they walk and she, she makes them really walk quickly. The wood ducks do the same thing. They nest in a, in a nesting box usually or in a hollow log and they also kick the babies out when they hatch and uh, but sometimes they stay so they'll, they'll stay here um, but they, they know us and they're very familiar with us. We also get a lot of possums, ringtails here um, which we occasionally see, they're a bit quieter and plenty of um, plenty of brush tails. Mm. I think uh, I think if you wherever you go, you'll see brush tailed possums all over the place. Mm -hmm. The markings on the trees, and they're they're fairly fairly spoilt too. A lot of the trees we hear are food trees for them, so they've got a lot of food to eat. Mm. They don't have to eat our food, but they do like our food. But mm. that's why we have it all. Mm. Yes. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 40dB and they're with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan, and we're in our Big Little Small Talk segment. And today we're talking to Eco Warrior. Can I call you that, Hugh? You <laughs> Hugh Krensky, who has a dry rainforest in the heart of Toowoomba, right on the golf course, and it's just paradise sitting here in the late afternoon. Sun, um, no sun, just beautiful fresh air and lovely cool breeze coming through. Hugh, you were telling me about the plethora of wildlife that you have here. Have you ever been a family that has had dogs and cats? I wouldn't imagine so. We don't have cats. We did have a dog, one of those things that you get when you're young. <laughs> and I think all of them buried here. <laughs> um, they were Labradors, but um, we do not have cats. Um, in fact, we have tried to trap the cats and we take them out to the pound, but um, unfortunately, once the tra cat's been trapped once and it's released again, uh, they won't go into a trap again. Um, the big, big problem with cats is the wildlife. We, we used to have a, a bandicoot here. Now, little bandicoots, they make a mess in most people's gardens because they dig holes. And one day we had a camera out and there we picked the cat carting our bandicoot off. So wow. I wasn't happy with that at all. Yeah. yeah. So the cat I don't I don't think cats roaming the neighborhood are right. Mm. If they've got cats they should put a, a cat fence up or keep them inside. Mm. What about birds and butterflies and lizards? You got a lot of those? Oh yes. Yes. Um, we have uh, many skinks and and, and some blue tongues, lizards. Um, Plenty of birds. Uh, I think uh, there's always a bird moving somewhere here. Um, parrots, at least four or five species of parrots visit here. Not all the time. 
Up there is a nesting box. That's Galar's nest. That's where they nest. <laughs> Up there is another nesting box. That's where the bees are. <laughs> They've taken it over. They're honeybees. They're not native. Um, Did you tell me that you had a bowerbird here as well? Yes, the bowerbirds are here. Uh, the satin bowerbirds. Um, they've got three attempted bowers around the yard um, and there's a male I think any young juvenile um, that tries to start building bowers uh, the, the mature male comes along and knocks them down oh. sometimes they survive but not always see them see the ducks they're here because we're here we, we've got the water here I've come to see. Do you find that you get any migratory birds? Yes, yes. Um, we, unfortunately, we get a lot of noisy miners. Now, noisy miners are a native honey eater, but they're a very aggressive honey eater, and they're here all the time. Now, some of the migratory birds that we get here would be the the uh, grey the grey fantail, the rufous fantail, um, some of the uh, um, oh, others smaller songbirds which we've got the Lewin's honey eater we used to get those years ago until the golf links went on a, a planting program and this is going back in the 80s they had a planting program here where they planted a lot of eucalypts now I've got nothing wrong with the eucalypts uh, and of course what happened up uh, the noisy miners followed and now we've got the noisy miners we still get those other birds but they've got to be very very wary because they'll be um, threatened if not killed by the uh, aggressive noisy miners mm. and noisy miners are a problem wherever they go no. you can't do much about it so do you just sort of view that quite philosophically like well they're part of the ecosystem and um, you just have to tolerate them yeah well they are part of the ecosystem they're great at uh, pest control <laughs> management any insects uh, they're right onto so um, so in that respect they're, they're quite good um, the, the the other birds we get that are a little bit aggressive are the pied currawongs. They can be aggressive. In fact, um, we breed a lot of crested pigeons here. Um, they just breed everywhere. And they seem to be a, a, a fairly good source of food for the pied currawongs. We also get blue-faced honeyeaters here at a specific time of the year. They're not here all the time, but they're here. They're here periodically at the moment. Mm. Um, what about um, chickens? Have you had much experience with chickens? Chooks, chick, yeah. <laughs> We've always had chooks, <laughs> pretty well always. Our, our worst experience here was with um, uh, a fasca gale. Um, a fasca gale is a, a, a marsupial um, predatory animal. About, I suppose, with the tail, he'd be up to 25 centimetres long. Um, and we had one here and we couldn't figure out what was killing the chooks and it ended up being a fasca gale. What sort of thing is it? Like a what? It's a little um, marsupial mammal. I think it might be a bit related to the quoll and um, it, it's a, a carnivore. It uh, kills all little mice, insects, frogs, that sort of thing. And that's another thing we've got a lot of is frogs. And uh, we have the striped marsh frog is the main frog, but um, occasionally we'll get a couple of the others, like the the um, um, 
Oh, Can I lend a hand? Would it be the green frog? Yes, you... it's a green tree frog. <laughs> but there's also Perrin's tree frog. We, we get him. But he's a very quiet frog. You don't hear him as much. Um, that'd probably be our main, major mm. ones. We don't get cane toads. Uh, we've fenced the cane toads off. They can't get in. Mm. <laughs> They'll come across, but they don't get in here. Right. What are your thoughts on the cane toads? I heard on the news the other day that there was this sort of giant cane oh, toad, biggest big one, one yeah. found in, was it in Cairns or somewhere? Yes, up in North Queensland. They, they got this huge, something like two and a half kg cane toad. Well, what are my thoughts on them? I would exterminate them if I, if, if I come across them, mm. uh, including the ones at Redwood. We, yeah. we do get them occasionally in Redwood. Well, Hugh, that is a perfect segue into um, Redwood because really why, um, not why I came here, but what I really want to talk to you about is um, Friends of Escarpment Park, which you are, I understand, the coordinator of Redwood Park. Yes, yes. Can you tell the listeners what Friends of Escarpment Park is and then we're going to talk about the work that you actually do down there. Is it every day? Um, we work there two mornings a week, occasionally more depending on what, what people want to do. Um, Friends of Escarpment Parks currently works in 14 parks, Bushland Parks in Toowoomba area. All bar one are council parks. Um, they Usually they're, they're, it has a moving group. Some people will go from one park to the other. Other people will just focus on their neighbourhood park, such as uh, Duggan Park will have a fixed group of people that work there while there'll be others there that go to you know, Duggan and Nielsen and out, maybe out to Leopard Ash and so on. Um, so mainly we, we're controlling the weeds. In fact, um, I think FEP does a marvellous job for council because of our weed management that we do for them because uh, council would, it would either cost a lot more to get extra resources to do what we do or um, it just wouldn't be done and they'd be overrun with weeds. Mm. In Redwood, um, we focus mainly on the dry rainforest, although we've got people that come down, are volunteers. Some people want to focus on privet and getting rid of privet um, and lantana. And other people are quite happy to go into the rainforest and work on the, the exotic vines and, and uh, bits and pieces of weeds that come in there. Um, we've got some horrendous weeds down there. Uh, our worst weed would be, would be um, Madeira vine, um, which we have growing in Toowoomba. Why? I don't know. Is uh, it an introduced yes, thing? Yes, it here? comes from Central yeah. America. Central and South America's Madeira vine. Catskill creeper comes from there too. And it's, it's the second most uh, vigorous weed. And another weed I'd like to mention, I wish people would get rid of it in their gardens, it's called asparagus, climbing asparagus, or in some cases asparagus fern. Now, looks pretty it grows nice berries that turn red the birds come along them along and eat them and they spread them for miles so of all the weeds that we have in redwood i would think asparagus is always going to be with us mm. um, we it's our major weed here that we have to get rid of hugh how do you how do people the volunteers know what's a weed and what's what they should be doing and they we get a little do, we in... teach them and we've got a handbook uh, but we also teach them, show them. We'll introduce um, them to a specific, um, one, two or three weeds, and the focus is on those. Mm. So they get to identify them, know what to do, and 
work on them and then they'll graduate into other weeds as, 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 uh, as appropriate. Mm, they get their weed badges <laughs> and they get to move well, that's, up. Well, that's a thing we've so, never thought of investigating <laughs> that like one. That. So Hugh, I can imagine it'll be hot, it'll be cold, it'll be rainy, it'll be, you know, strenuous. Do you just love it? Well, yes, but the great thing about Redwood is it's out of the westerlies, so it can be uh, horrible cold up in Toowoomba, and you get down to the rainforest and it's very mild. Um, the only hassle we have is usually if it's wet weather, then we have to be careful. Um, we can't have people slipping and uh, falling over, and also we've got to watch out for very, if it's very windy, um, tree branches coming down. Mm. So those things we have to be careful of. Mm. What size workforce are we talking about? Volunteers down in, in working all for Friends of Escarpment Parks every, on a weekly basis, would you reckon? Um, well, it, it depends. See, some parks, they only work once a month. We work twice a week. And that's probably why we've got a fair bit done. Best thing I can do is just to show you um, just log in here and I'll show you what, what we do. Work reports and I'll look at say our period for just say last month which was December and if people have filled in their reports then we'll get a, a volunteer stats and that will give you in December that our, our, our volunteers spent 413 hours. 413 hours of volunteers in all yeah. Leopard Ash, Bushland Park, Duggan Park, Echo Valley, Hartman parks. Reserves, Highfields Falls, Jubilee Park. What number of people are we talking about doing this huge volunteerism? Okay. Um, what do they, they're the hours, number of work sessions, average number of workers there. Well, see, one of those is only one person working. 2.67 hours are uh, people. They're the, they're the average number of people. Six at Panorama Crescent, um, 4.5 at Rogers, Redwood Park at 4.78. How do you get average. a 4.78 person? <laughs> well, if we work eight sessions down in Redwood and you get X number of people, you divide it into eight and that's how it comes out. <laughs> Who thought of that natty little thing, that little setup? Is that part of your I, harking back to your science computering days? computing days. days. I wrote the software and um and council have got their own login so uh kim kim campbell who's currently the the uh, our liaison she's got her own login so she can go and check on how things are going and each coordinator has got their login so they they just then have to go and log in and enter their day, details we used to have to fill it in by paper and hand it in and we'd lose track of what we do in this way we can actually have a look at what we do um, so, for instance, um, I can go in there, we can store photos, GPS records, um, we describe what we've done, what weeds we've tackled. Um, so it, it's, it's not a bad program, actually, from that point of view. It's amazing. Did you, have you sort of patented that, here? No. Anyone can use it if they want to. we just got to set it up for them. And they either can set it up on all their own server or we will set it up for them and they can use our servers mm. but they have their own logins they have to enter their own people their own hours they're they're in charge of all everything there fep stuff is just for redwood mm. fep mm. so as you saw there we we um i was going to show you just the sort of things that we can do 
while you're looking for that yeah. I want to hear about some of the other things that um, Friends of the Escarpment Park do so you don't only do the weeding of the bushland and um, the rehabilitation you also do cataloging of native and exotic plants is that correct? Well some people do I don't um, Kay's more into plant ID than I do than I am um, that would be more the realm of, of, of um, the crow's nest nursery they would do a lot of that that sort of thing um, what about um the propagating of native plants we've got the helicopter the base <laughs> hospital helicopter going on in the background that's disturbing our idyllic setting here but yeah, hopefully nothing um nothing tragic happens what about the propagating here well Kay does a lot of propagating she just loves doing that sort of thing otherwise we go to crow's nest nursery um and we sometimes pass them on uh, with with seeds, things that are unique from to Redwood. Um, let's get this period here last month. And what about um, the walks that you take in Redwood? Do you do daylight and spotlight walks well, within the park? Spotlight, we do spotlighting walks um, at, in different parks. The last one we did was at Nielsen Park um, about a month or so ago. We did one at Redwood last um, September I think was the last one we did there. Um, we do take guided walks like we took the uh, um, bushwalks, Toowoomba bushwalkers through the, their Redwood last year. Um, we take Indigenous groups through and we've got a, I'd like to think we've got a fairly good relationship with, with the local Indigenous people, mainly the people, the Bunyip People's Aboriginal Corporation. Um, uh, they've, they've actually helped us do some work in there. We've actually employed them uh, using grant money from council. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 40DB and we're talking to Hugh Krensky, who is the coordinator of Redwood Parks, Friends of the Escarpment Parks. Hugh, I wanted to talk to you about the significance of Redwood Park. Talk to me about why it's a special park and what sort of things you find in Redwood Park that are unique totally to Redwood Park? Well, it's not... I don't think there's anything that's unique to Redwood, to, to Redwood Park, but it's an endangered ecosystem for a start, which means there's not too many other uh, environments like it. It's got a, uh, a dry rainforest in it, or, and it's a, usually a vine thicket. Um, it's classified as an RE type, a regional ecosystem type. And I won't go into those numbers. Um, we have, for instance, we've got black-breasted buttonfly in there. We've had powerful owls in there, and they, they even bred last year. Um, we've got koalas in there, and unfortunately, we lost two last year and the year before. Lost two koalas, and my, the main problem with that is, of course, the dogs. Um, we can't. We've never come across a dog actually walling one, but we, we come across the evidence. Um, dead pythons, nothing wrong with pythons, um, koalas, wallabies, and the big monitor lizards. And, and if, they, if the dogs are off, they're, they're, they're just natural hunters. They're, most of them are, the big ones. So, Hugh, tell me about that, people um, letting their dogs off when they're walking in Jubilee and Redwood. And well, I mean, you've obviously outlined the danger there. Yeah. Well, I put signs up to try and say, hey, you keep your dog on a leash. 
Um, and generally pe people who walk on Mondays and Thursdays know we're going to be there. And so they'll always make sure their dog's on a leash while we're in the vicinity. Um, they often pull them off the leash after they're out of sight. Um, we had troubles with the signs initially because if we put them low, people just rip them off. So we had to climb up a tree and put them right up a tree. But um, we'd like to think that it would go back to the pre-Toomba Regional Council days when dogs were not allowed in, in our bushland parks. Um, and that was back prior to 2008, I think. Um, I've been working in Redwood now since 2005 on a sort of semi-consistent basis and very regularly since 2011. Hugh, is, is that sort of work, is it like painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge? You get to one end and then you have to go back and start again? Well, during the drought, we were doing very, very well. It, it went so well that uh, we were breaking up new, breaking into new areas. Um, for instance, um, it was because of that that we found the, um, the indigenous artefacts up there. Um, which we won't go into too much, but um, the, it was because we were looking for new areas that Kay discovered these things, and we were really puzzled about that because we think it was thought it was a prank, but apparently it wasn't. Um, but since then, we've had a lot of rain. In the last three years, I think we've had four times. This, in, in fact, last year we had four times the average rain, and all the weeds grew. All the plants grew. So we were stuck with a massive Madeira vine explosion. Not so much cat's claw, but Madeira, coral berry, all the things that have the, that their seeds would last for a fair while. Um, green panic. Um, but we're now, hopefully, with it a bit dry, we're getting back on top of it. Mm. Uh, and Madeira vine is the worst one that we've got to deal with. Mm. Tell me about the people that that volunteer there tell you know tell me about you don't have to name names but tell me about the people why they do it and you know to just to well, give they, so willingly yeah, of their time I, I think some of them come down because they um, see what we're doing and want to be part of it some come down because historically they were always part of it I know one fellow used to come down there as a kid and now he's 80 on and so he's now pulling lantana and privet out. Um, other people, um, well, one is a former councillor from New South Wales and he he's, was on the Weeds Council in New South, in the Tablelands area of Northern New South Wales and so he helps us out um, a couple of times a week. Um, other people just come because that's what they want to do, mm. want to just pull weeds out of their, our environment, keep, yeah. keep it going. It's an incredible thing to do. We do it also because the animals like it. It's not just the plants and the th things, it's also the animals that live there. Um, they, they, uh, they benefit from it as, as once we, we've seen the resurgence of the black-breasted button quail, um, that came, started, we were starting to see it again in 2017 after that, that drought and they made a resurgence. Um, they weren't seen since the 90s before then and now they're back and we I picked them up on wildlife cameras just a couple of weeks ago so we know mm -hmm. they're there. And there's a special type of orchid there as well isn't yes, there? Yes, there's Sarcocholus wonthelii 
and um, it, it's also growing up in, in the rainforest. We don't talk about where it is. <laughs> um, in State the, secret? In, well, in the 70s, in the 70s, there was a, an explosion of orchid growers, native orchid growers, and uh, a lot of orchids got raped by, uh, well, they, they raped the countryside and took the orchids. And so we still have a lot of orchids in Redwood, believe me, all sorts of orchids um, growing in different places. And, uh, but uh, Sarcocholus wintelii is, is, an, is an orchid that's uh, listed as vulnerable. And so we want to protect where it is. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I read somewhere too, might have been on your website, that um, that your group provide work gloves and good smokos. The work is social, active, enjoyable, and rewarding. Yes. <laughs> well, as you said, we, we as we we have a, a nice food forest here, and any excess goes down there, and we have a sharing process there. Yes. So we work for two and a half hours, then we have morning tea, and we go home after that. Um, we and. The, the, there's a lot of, lot of discussion goes on at that, that time. Mm. When you say good smokos, you bring your own smoko and you own, might yes. share it, and you're talking oh, leftover tomatoes and yeah. leftover corn and. Well, you could say they're leftovers. I just say they're excess. Yes, sorry. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, the the thing I'm passionate about, about Kay's more passionate than I am, is the linking the connection between the flora and the fauna. Um, the fauna won't live without the flora and likewise the fauna, uh, the flora won't live without the fauna because they all sort of work in harmony. And lately we've just been getting into something else and that's that third kingdom called fungi, which is also a very, very important part in a forest. Um, I won't go into that too, de too detail at the moment. Um, so um, one thing I would like to have happen is to get um, a, a Gardens for Wildlife program going in, in Toowoomba. Um, we have a Land for Wildlife program, but that limits people to land, large landowners or people living in peri-urban areas because they're the only ones that are going to have a hectare or more. But people who have less than that, um, I think a Gardens for Wildlife program with good guidance, um, and access to appropriate plants would, could do a great deal to form natural corridors, whether it's a street corridor, whether it's a uh, neighbourhood corridor, um, providing habitat and food for our native animals. Um, and it's not hard to do. In fact, there'd probably be a lot of people already doing it. Um, but it'd be nice to recognise the fact and get stimulate more interest in that sort of thing. Um, we, we've got some natural corridors here already but and like we're very lucky we live at the back of the golf links so we pick up a lot of bird life from there. Um, we've got creek corridors but there's a lot more that could be done other than just grow pretty flowers. Mm. As you can see we don't we don't uh, we're not really great pretty flower people They've got pretty flowers. There's lots of natives that are pretty flowers. Um, up the front we had a, had a, um, um, oh. Is it the one that came from out west? No, no, mm -hmm. no. I was, I was thinking of the, of the, um, 
brachychite and discolour up there. And brachychite and discolour are a marvellous plant and they grow naturally in redwood. That's one of their homes. And they'd make a great street tree. Um, I don't see many bottle trees at all along the streets. And maybe council's got something against brachychite and discolours. But they're, they're a good, they're a good, they'd be a good colourful street tree. Mm. They come into flower about when the, um, when the, uh, after winter. They are deciduous, so they'll drop their leaves. Um, Toowoomba has got three lots of things flowering at, at, in around October, November. Um, flame trees, which is a brachychiden. Um, the purple one, jacarandas, mm -hmm. and silky oaks. Two of those are natives. The jacarandas not, but it's the one you see everywhere in, mm. in around November exam time. Mm. Mm. Um, well, Hugh, as what happens with me, unfortunately, is I tend to run out of time because I love um, listening to what's what work you're doing and what you know what you, where you've come from and where you're going. I was going to ask you about your views on climate change and you, how how you're feeling about the future of the world. Uh, well, I have to. I look at everything positively. I think we can make a change. We've got the cap capabilities of doing it. We've got to have the will to do it. People have got to say yes. And I think there's a lot more people taking notice and trying to do something. And it can be done uh, just by modifying your own behaviour. It, it, it's not a big ask. Um, not, not everyone has to have solar power, power panels on their, their roofs. Um, or, or solar hot water systems. But there's a lot of things that people can do just by changing the way they live. Um, I don't so you know. think there's hope for us yet? Oh yes, I think there's hope. There's definitely hope. Um, Kay may be different. <laughs> <laughs> Kay might have a different point yes. of view. Well, look, I'm running out of time, but I know that um, you grow a lot of food here. So if I can ask you this question, if you could only carry one type of food in your pocket, what would it be? Uh, it'd be water. <laughs> Is food, is water a food? Well, okay, but uh, without it, um, we, we wouldn't, uh, what, what food do I really like? I can't cart in my pocket. Um, I like lettuce, beans, they're good. Um, I suppose if I was going to cart a fruit that could sustain me, it'd be uh, citrus, oranges. Because, uh, yeah. Lots of sucrose keep you, um, or fructose, fructose. Yes. All right, Hugh, what about, um, do you think your priorities have changed since you were, when you were younger? Oh, yes, yes. Now I, I see much, a much greater need for people to be environmentally aware. Really have to be. Um, we've only got one environment and, and biodiversity is the, is the key to it all. Um, and we've got to be biodiverse where I had a heap of notes on that. <laughs> <laughs> No notes, no, no notes. All right, Hugh, what about um, in three words, I am? I am. <laughs> a responsible human being. A responsible human being. I love it. What about the last thing that made you laugh out loud, Hugh? You. <laughs> 
Well, I didn't know that I was um, <laughs> I was a person who could make you laugh out loud. I'll take that as a um, as a compliment. Thank yeah. you very much, you. What about what scares you most about your future? Well, I suppose um, it's it's to do with how we look after this simple environment that we've got and maintain it. Look, I've tried to get. Um, weekend groups ha happening with people, younger people, trying to get them involved in, in work, in volunteering. And it's very difficult. They've got sport. Sport seems to drive everyone in a certain direction. And if it's not in front of TV sets, it's out watching the kids play. Um, I, I've been there, we did that too. <laughs> um, so I think we, if people can lead a balanced life, and start to say, okay, I've got to give something back to this wonderful environment of ours, um, because if we don't, it's not going to be there. Um, our ch children, our grandchildren may not be there to enjoy it. Um, they, they're my feelings on it. Mm, yes, it's a scary thought, I, I have to agree. You, you don't strike me as much of a, um, a royal loving person, but do you, or if I said, who is your favourite royal? Doesn't have to be British, and they don't have to be living. What would you say? Oh, well, I I did have a lot of time for the Queen, I suppose, um, and the other one I suppose I thought is doing a good job is Princess Mary. Do you um, love the fact that she's an Aussie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I don't know whether you'd be a dancing man either, Hugh. You're not a... He's shaking his head, no, listeners. I, I um, haven't danced for years. But what would be the song that couldn't keep you off the dance floor? There's none. <laughs> what oh, about I, a song I, that you know all the words to that you love to sing? Oh, strike. What was the song that you and Kay... What was your wedding song? Uh... The old traditional one, that, whatever that was. <laughs> what, whatever that one was. 63 years ago. 63 years. Oh, 62. Yeah, 63 years. Yeah. That's not a bad effort. No, 53. It's... Sorry. Oh. 53. I'm not that old. <laughs> Sorry, Kay. Yeah. We gave you another 10 years there. All right. Well, we'll let you off on the yeah. song. But, Hugh, I read, um, I read a, a quote and it goes like this. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And when I read that, I thought about your work down there at um, Redwood and the Friends of the Escarpment Park, and I just thought, that is so fitting. It really fits the work that you do. You're a small group of dedicated people changing the world. We're changing Redwood anyway. <laughs> and we're changing a few people's attitudes that come down. We get uh, quite a few people um, that come up from the coast um, because of the bird life in Redwood. And there's a, quite a prolific lot of bird life there. Um, yeah, I think it's a fitting, fitting statement. Um, I would love it to get a few more people involved. And we well, just with that, how, um, if someone wanted to get involved, how would they, how would they get involved? Well, we've got a website, fep.org.au is our website, and uh, it's just a matter of getting onto there and there's contact details there. Um, I do have a, an email address, um, 
But if they look up Friends of the Escarpment Park, they'll find you. Yes, 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 right. they'll find you. Volunteers me. welcome. Yes, very All right, much Hugh, so. with that, we're going to wrap it up. But um, thank you so much for being my guest on Big Little Small Talk. Um, your commitment and dedication to the environment is unquestionable and unparalleled, I think, and it's mm. been a real honour to have you on my segment today. Thank you, Hugh. I hope that people are able to get more involved in in the work we do or in their own backyard. Um, growing stuff other than the pretty flowers, stuff that supports the, the, um, the local wildlife. And, and, and pretty flowers help too. They attract insects. And we're seeing a, a decimation of insects in the world. Um, I don't know if you drive out in the country. Years ago, you'd have a heck of a job cleaning a windscreen. How often do you do that now? Mm. Hugh, it's a, that's a, a very thoughtful thing for us to finish on. Thank you once again for being my guest. Thank you, Hugh. Okay, thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.